Hey everyone, it's Seth. I just wanted to take a quick moment before we launch into this week's episode for a couple of different things. Number one, just to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for sharing this with your friends. Thank you for all the positive feedback and encouragements, the ratings, reviews on iTunes, uh, the emails and so forth. Thank you guys so much. This has been a really fun ride so far and I'm really looking forward to some of the episodes that we're going to release here in the future. I think they're going to be really exciting and some of our best yet. So I hope you guys will be, uh, be listening for that. And second of all, just to celebrate the launch of this podcast and some of our audience here, I wanted to do something special. So I am speaking at the Every Nation Campus Student Conference in Corvallis, Oregon on February 16th and 17th. If you are a college student or a recent college grad and you were thinking about attending this conference or you weren't thinking about attending this conference, but now you might be, I'm going to offer up a couple of scholarships to this thing, some registration scholarships for you. And it's a very simple process to be eligible for that. Number one, just submit a rating and a review on iTunes and then send me an email to sethtrimmer at gmail.com to let me know that you did that and that you're interested in the scholarship. And I'm going to select at random a couple of people and let you know as quickly as possible who those people are uh, on our next podcast episode. Thank you guys so much for listening into this. I hope that anyone who wants to get out to this conference can come. It was something that really changed my life back when I was a student. So it's an incredible honor to be able to do do that for future students. I know that you're going to come in and encounter God in a unique and profound way, uh, see him shape and mold the vision for your life. And I even believe as you come among a lot of other students coming in from all over the West Coast and Western Canada, you're really going to see a bigger picture and vision for what God is really doing in our world. So you guys, this is really exciting. Again, just send me an email to sethtrimmer at gmail.com. Once you've submitted your rating and review and you're interested in being submitted for this scholarship to the Every Nation Student Conference in Corvallis, Oregon. Love you guys. Thank you so much. Now, enjoy this episode. He's a seven-year veteran in the NBA, has spent the last 13 years as the pastor of High Point Church in Orlando, Florida, and more recently has spent some time out in the beautiful Corvallis, Oregon, consulting with our church and providing our leaders with some very insightful evaluation of who we are and how we operate together as a team. Pastor Keith Tower is going to join us here on this podcast, and he's going to share with us some of his insights of how to maximize our leadership and to gain greater self-awareness as we lead within the teams that God places us in. I hope you guys are blessed by this conversation. Keith has an incredible background, not just athletically in his basketball career, but he also has a master's degree and a license in counseling. And so he offers some very unique perspectives and insights and a lot of practical life wisdom into all kinds of areas of life. And I'm excited to welcome him to this episode of Church in the Wild. Keith Tower, welcome to the podcast. Good to be with you, my friend. Yeah, this yeah. is going to be really fun. Keith, you played on a lot of teams throughout the years. Yep. And I thought it would be really fun to talk about the dynamics of the kind of teams you've been on. And now, especially as a pastor, as a counselor, and uh, as a consultant, you work with a lot of teams, whether they're organizational or church-based, mm -hmm. and you're able to infuse so many different elements of your background and your training into them. I would love to hear kind of your experiences of team, what makes kind of good teams and bad teams, um, and allow that to kind of be the jumping off point for, I, I, for, sure. for a lot of other questions I have for you. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 interesting with ha from having played basketball and then uh, working with organizations, leading a church, uh, there are a lot of dynamics uh, at play. But at some level, a team's a team. And I think the excuses we make for underperforming teams, uh, whether it's in sports or in, in church or an organization, are, are pretty universal across the board. And I think if we understand certain things about dynamics with, within teams, um, we can maybe move away from them. Like, for example, you think of, of professional sports. Theoretically, mo most people would assume that a good team is comprised of just superstar players, right? Sure. And so get the we, best players on the team, and yeah. You'll be fine. And yeah. if we underperform, we need new talent. We need if we uh, overperform, it's right. because we have talent. But if you think about it in the professional sports world, the teams that underperform consistently get the first pick. Mm. So if true team success was based on access to talent then, you know, I'm in the state of Florida. We, uh, until this year, we haven't had good professional football in decades. And uh, they continue to get the first pick. 
and they continue to underperform because there's something else besides access to talent. Flip side of that is true. Why are the New England Patriots annoyingly good every year? Theoretically, they should have the least access to talent because they're good. They get the 30th pick rather than the first pick. So theoretically, they should decline. But there's something in their culture, there's something in their team dynamics where it's not just access to talent, it's how you develop talent, uh, and it's how you select talent. That, I think it's uh, a magic potion that Tom Brady is drinking personally. Yeah, I, yeah, he uh, he has discovered the fountain of youth for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's only fifty three or whatever going for his whatever Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting point. You don't often put two and two together there, you know. But the whole draft system within professional sports sure. is weighted towards those who are underperforming and losing games, right? Yep. Uh, you even hear it kind of joked about towards the end of the season when a team is doing really badly, they almost have incentive to keep losing games to, in order to get a better draft pick in order to get a better player the next season. But you do find the same teams typically perennially locked into that places and talent doesn't seem to make yeah, a if, if Now, talent, listen, talent Tal- does not great. hurt. Sure. Talent is, is super helpful. But I think some in some instances we can see it as a crutch. You know, we're not good because we don't have talent. Yeah. Uh, or, gee, if we just sort of had the superstar, particularly in the church world, oftentimes we look yeah, and say... Yeah, I was just about to say that. Yep, if we just, man, if we just had a, a different worship leader, if we just had, you know, a, a, a different kids minister, or if we had a few more this, few more that. And the reality is it's not access to talent, it's utilization, and, and I would say talent selection. So, for example, take, take the New England Patriots. One of my favorite stories, I, I saw an interview with uh, Robert Kraft, who was the, the owner of the Patriots, and he talks about the first time he met all-world, all-everything Tom Brady. Now, Tom Brady was certainly a, a, a good player at the University of Michigan, but he was not projected to be nope. the Tom Brady. No. Nope. What was he, like sixth round or something like he that? He was their last pick yeah. the year that he came out. Not overall, but the last for the, for the Patriots. Sixth round pick. So when uh, first day of training camp, Mr. Kraft was coming off the field as Tom Brady was coming on, and Tom Brady walked straight over to him as a low draft pick rookie, unguaranteed contract, walks right up to the owner of the team and says, hi, Mr. Kraft, nice to meet you. My name's Tom Brady. And Mr. Kraft, you know, he's got a, got a good measure of trash talk to him, which I love, uh, looks back at Tom and says, oh, I, I know who you are. We took you with our last pick out of Michigan. And Tom Brady looks at the multi-billionaire owner of the team and says, and I want you to know that is the single best business decision you've ever made. <laughs> okay, so what is inside... Some might call it hubris. Some might also say they they saw something in this player beyond his size, beyond his statistics, beyond his arm strength. There There was something about his personality that would suggest he has the capacity to really develop into something. Now, you put the overall culture of the Patriots combined with a guy who has this type of confidence and fire in his belly and obviously has a measure of talent, but he was certainly not the first quarterback drafted and you put those things together and now you see a superstar emerge it, it's the the san antonio spurs right every time it's it's uh time for free agency um or every time it's time for the draft they don't go and find the top free agent their draft philosophy is to draft spurs so if they can find a Kawhi leonard who certainly has some talent uh but he is a guy made for their system and they go, rather than for the top talent, they go for talent selection. This is a guy who's a great piece, and if we can put the right piece in the right place and have the right culture, Kawhi's become a perennial all-star, but more importantly, the quality of the San Antonio Spurs, despite not having great draft picks, continue they continue to play at a high level. Yeah. So I, I think organizations, churches in particular, which is where my heart really beats, can start to look at this, and rather than trying to find where's the next superstar, saying, in my case, where's the next high point church leader? Where's right. the next Grace City leader? Where's right. who, who is our guy who bleeds what we bleed, uh, and do we have the systems in place now to develop the talent that's yeah. in there? And he can become an all-star, but more importantly, the organization can move forward. It seems so common of all the conversations I have with leaders and with pastors that this is the default. Um, this is the default request they always have. This is the problem they always have. For Christians, obviously, it's the prayer requests that they always sure. have. But I've met with business leaders that think the same thing, that there's just some savior out there in the form of a salesman yep. or a youth pastor or associate pastor or whatever else 
that is going to come along and turn everything around, that their talent is going to make the difference. I was actually just talking with Steve Merle. He was he recorded a podcast episode with him not long ago. And I was mentioning to Steve that what I, from my vantage point, from his world serving over in the Philippines, which is now over some of 100,000 people or something Amazing. like that. Yep. But there is no superstar over there. There is no Tom Brady or yep. LeBron James, you know, if you want to use the sports metaphor over there. Uh, but what they do have is just well-placed talent in the right positions and enough humility to actually work together and not just go do their own thing. Yes. And I, I brought this up to him and it was almost, it was this weird moment where I think he was, he didn't even, you know, have a great response for my, for my observation and question. How do you create a, you know, a leadership team like this? I think there was something so deep inside his DNA that knew how to create those systems, identify those leaders and include them in something with an amount of humility to produce that, but uh, it is extremely uncommon. I don't know that that's very natural. Yeah. So yeah, what are some of those beginning things that leaders can do to begin to develop a better team or to become the kind of current team that can draw the right people in the future? Sure, absolutely. Uh, and I agree with everything you were saying there 100%. I think one, <clears throat> one of the things that's really important is, is clarifying the win. The, for the average person, I wanna win. Um, for the average team, we want to win. But in, inherent in we winning is an element of personal glory. If the team wins, I get a ring, right? Mm. So if you, if you were to look across the, the sports world, the business world, there are some people who are content if they excel, even if the team loses. Hey, if the team loses, but I become an all-star, yay, that's great. Uh, and then, then there are those team guys that are willing to personally you know that maybe maybe I don't I don't play as much but the team wins and there's a we that's mm -hmm. the win and we look at that and we see that as preferable to the superstar who wants his own glory and doesn't care if the team wins now at least your preference is the team win even if you get less but I would suggest that there's even a a, a different win that Pastor Steve is finding in the in the Philippines, and intuitive leaders can 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 sell a goal that's even beyond we winning. There, there there there's something above that requires us to sacrifice for one another. That that is a win that's not about us. Yeah. Right. So the kingdom of God, the ch church world, ought to more than any really understand this because our win isn't about Grace City. It's not about High Point. Right, it's about it's about the kingdom of God. It's about people coming into a life-saving, life-changing, transformational relationship with Jesus that would then overflow and ideally impact the community and the world. If that's what we're going for, that requires you and I to sacrifice for forget us. True. <laughs> right? We True. we're now and we're not even fighting for a we. We're fighting for a he. And that that that's different. So Poor teams grab superstar talent that's trying to get their own, and maybe if you get enough superstars together, the team can do pretty well because you got a bunch of individual efforts. Mm -hmm. Good teams get people willing to sacrifice because we want to achieve something. I would suggest that high-performing teams have a, particularly in the church world, have a he. Yeah. Let's us lay down our lives collectively for he. Yeah. And so if we can get the initial... If that if that even makes sense, and and, oh, and I would sense. I would yeah. say across industries there are things that go beyond uh, a, a me and a we. Yeah, Simon Sinek is one of the famous guys recently that's really been voicing this idea, yeah. the why, right? Coming yep. great organizations to find why they do what they do, yes. not just what they do or how they do it. Yep. And companies can distinguish themselves in terms of their process or or the culture, yep. the values they have in the process. But they're able to articulate that there is an overriding vision that is bigger than just the widget they're producing that yes. they're hoping to accomplish in the world. And that's the thing that people actually buy into. It seems like in, in our world, at least in the church world, and I know there's there's way more that we have in common with maybe just the nonprofit in general or the corporate world, but even in a world like ours where you would think that we would have a natural bent to buy into a larger vision and to yeah. give our lives away for, for God and his kingdom yep. and all that kind of stuff, there always still seems to be a particular vision of what giving our lives away God looks like and yes. what results we should see from it and how that should all be carried out. Yes. So sometimes Christians seem like we often have problems because we assume that because we're all serving God, 
that we have the same vision for what that means and what that's going to look like in terms of a end product. Yes, I would agree with that. And, uh, and it's, it's creating challenges. And, and as John Maxwell says, I think everything rises and falls with leadership in that yeah. because it, the, the typical church, we clarify a win, yes. we, we go for it. It requires a clar- incredible clarity. For sure. sure. Cl- clarity and we celebrate it. But what tends to happen is in the process of celebrating the win, there is a celebration at some level of the producers of the win. And a typical culture now says, if I can speak like that guy, if I can evangelize like that guy, if I could, you know, if I can fit into this mold, I could be part of helping produce the next win. Yeah. Which is okay, depending on what my win is. But again, in the kingdom of God, if he's created and gifted everybody, everybody, yeah. Then, then the mobilization of everybody has to be for a broad enough, a clear, yeah. but not narrow victory that yeah. requires only certain types of people. This is why the church world gets, falls into the same talent trap that corporate America or teams are. If we can just get a talented enough guy, rather than understanding God has, has placed in us, assuming we're healthy and you know submitted to him, God has placed within us all the right pieces to become what he's called us to become in, in increasing measure. So rather than if I can find the awesome, talented guy, what pieces, what talent already exists. And I would say one of the places where we miss looking is what I would call the, the gifts of the father. You know, we, mm-hmm. we recognize the predictability with somebody with the, a, a gift of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 12, we see all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If I'm have a gift of healing, I can expect, hey, here's a sick person. Let's bring in the guy that prays and we see predictably healing taking place. Right. We see the gifts of the son, right? In Ephesians chapter four, which says he, meaning Christ, gave some to the church. So the son's bridal gifts as the groom to his bride are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of saints. So we can, there's a predictability that a pastor is naturally going to shepherd well, there's yeah. a predictability with your apostles that they're thinking pioneering new territory, et cetera, et cetera. And we kind of, within the church world, identify these areas of gifting and go, I just need a, if we had a superstar pastor, oh, if my life groups could just be run by a superstar shepherd, if we just had, you know, to crack open a new campus, a superstar evangelist. And I would say that we miss, I think, one of the most spiritual gifts that God has given us. And that's gifts of the father, how the way he hardwires people from at a personality level, when he's fearfully and wonderfully making them, forming them in the womb. There are things that God stitches and knits into people's personality that I believe as, as shepherds or as leaders, it's our responsibility to start to mine those things out because it's, I believe at the personality level, how God has wired you, uh, not just what talents you have, not just what skill sets you have, not just what gifts you have, but the kind of thing, the, the, the Tom Brady looking at the owner before he's ever doing anything that that's, that's personality that, and, and, and if I, if I'm on a football field, I want that. Yeah. (laughs) If I'm in a classroom, maybe I don't necessarily want that. I want a different type of personality. And I think when we can find the way people are made by God, we see the part that their mom brings to the table. We see the, see the part that the father brings to the table. But you know, as a, as a father, you look at your kids and go, oh, that's me. And then you see another attribute and go, oh, that's you, <laughs> of yeah, course. that's right. And then you see something going, where did that come from? And I think as church leaders, particularly, if we can identify the, the that, God placed that in them and has drawn them here for us to have the capacity to go on a mission that's, that's larger than any of us could ever ask, think, or imagine. Um, I think now we have the capacity, if we can get those type of people mobilized within the strengths of their personality, um, we, we can really create some high-performing teams. I, uh, there was a pastor in town uh, not long ago, and he's, he's long since left, but before his church was right about to shut down. His last pleading request was, and it was a little bit out of desperation, and there was a little bit of an edge to it, but it was simply if, well, if only other churches would just send me uh, a couple families or a couple leaders, I could turn this thing around. Now, he already had maybe 50 to 80 people, somewhere in that range, you know, uh, for quite a long time, but the assumption was that there was always something outside. Yes. And 
to me, I the, from the first moment I heard it, I was like, well, what about the 50 you have? Yes. Like, what about the 50 you have? And the idea that somehow God can't, won't, or in, in other ways couldn't, like, move through that group no. of people to produce the kind of change that would then create a system that magnetically draw others in yes. that you might need for the future, but already that you've set yourself up. So it seems like a lot of this starts with the leader at the top of the organization, a lot of just with their mindset. And it seems like their security of just knowing I have to, I have to do something as a leader to begin to include and identify yes. people in their strengths and getting them plugged into the right areas. Uh, rather than thinking like, I'm fine, I've done everything that I could ever yeah. possibly ever hope to yeah. do, therefore the answer is out there. Yeah. Is that, is that uh, fair to say? Abso- well, yes, uh, absolutely. Imagine how disempowering that is to 50 oh, people. Oh, incredibly. You're just a victim at that point. And there's which, nothing you can which, do Which, by the yourself. way, 50 people who are committed enough to hang in there till this thing bleeds out and dies. Yeah. So you have 50 loyal, 50 potentially committed, 50 people willing to hang on, and you just completely said... You add nothing to this picture. We can't do it with you. And when I look at scripture, I just, I see that as completely false. Jesus took 12 who by the time mission was happening and we see in the book of Acts, oh, are these the men who turned the world upside down? How many do you need to be able to go turn the world upside down? I would say if you train and adequately deploy, you need the ones that are right in front of you. Wow. And by the way, as you go turn the world upside down, inherently in that is reaching new that are now those that are sitting right in front of you. Um, so yeah, that that's actually very sad to even even hear a leader thinking that. But it but it, it's part of I a think leader's, it's pretty common though. It's very common, and it's part of a leader's mindset because if 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 God has placed fifty here, and as a shepherd, what is the what is the the how do I most have them utilizing their life to the glory of God? Boy, fifty people deciding to live for God, even if the end result numerically is 55, even if the end result is we didn't make budget, I don't know that you can call that a loss, right? Mm. If we are going to get these people doing what it is that God's called them to do, living all out to his glory and, and, and all in, you know, sacrificing all for that, Boy, we, I, I think, again, that goes to the, to the clarification. What is it that we maintain our budget, that we keep the seats full, that we, uh, you know, yeah, right. that we become the largest church in town, that I'm yeah. invited to the mayor's faith-based, whatever. If, if that's the win, that requires us. But there's that I'm not going to die for that. Right. And I'm sure not going to live for that. Right. Um, but if I, I, so yeah, I think, I think it's a wrong clarification at the very top level of what it is that you're calling people to. Yeah. I think back to the history of even, uh, the church that I lead here in Oregon, Grace city. And, you know, we, we had a, uh, you know, small size group of people that stuck with us through some pretty hard times by the time I became the pastor here and, looking across the crowd and I mean zero offense to anyone in our church and I don't think anyone who was a part of our church at that time would would have a problem with me saying this I mean you couldn't necessarily look across the crowd and see dynamism you know just the really obvious there's the magnetic you know level five leader that's just going to charge hell with a water pistol but there was incredibly unique giftings in the church I think one of the best things that I did completely by accident was and it was a gift that God gave me was he actually took away a lot of the stronger leaders of the church, all the elders yes. of the church had resigned. A lot of our top leaders had all left, but who remained were really faithful people, very yes. loyal people, very generous people, very loving people. And they were in, they were really committed. And I found from that, that even as our church is located really close to Oregon State University, a lot of college students, and we've always cared about that campus in a really deep way. We didn't have a whole lot of young people to really engage with the campus, but simply by putting out the challenge to people saying, hey, whatever you have, if you could just use that yes. in the general direction of caring about college students, just do that. And so some of our best leaders and ministers were people that you would have never thought. I mean, they were soccer moms, you know, they were empty yep. nesters. Uh, the guy that ended up taking over our middle school ministry, you know, was in his late 70s, early 80s, just saying, there's a need. I want to step up. I'm going to allow God to use me in this moment. And we saw momentum come from all that. And we saw as God began to align our leaders in the right places, things started happening. But I think what what is too easy to do is just to look at maybe 
the one or two or three kind of dynamic leaders that you might see on a stage on a Sunday morning yep. or like look at our worship leader who was really good yes. and think, wow, that was it. That's what, no, it really wasn't. It was really like, as you're describing the category of those that gifted in the father, they just, they use their hospitality. They yes. use their casserole making skills, yeah, you know, absolutely. whatever it was just to connect and engage with the people around them. And we're not there anymore. We have a lot more people and I think a lot more range of gifting. But I think we learned a valuable lesson never to overlook yes. uh, those gifts, which are easily overlookable in, yeah. in your community. Well, when we say because we're not we're, we're, we're not necessarily looking at gifting as opposed to talent. Sure. Right. So we go the talented people will help us win. And it's not it's it's the gifted people, which, by the way, is every man, woman and child that's ever been born. That's right. Has a gift in the core of that's their right. personality, even pre-Christ. Right, because the the gifts of the Son and the Holy Spirit yeah, come after. God still made them. Every yeah. man, the woman, and God child is still in them. Yes, exactly. So, so there's some gifting here where I can be utilized for my purpose in God, for which He put me on this earth, and which He's linked me to this people. And the highest performing teams that when when I've been on on some of the best teams, it, I mean, I played with Shaquille O'Neal, played very briefly with Michael Jordan, and. You know, you, you look at some of those teams. Yes, they had a superstar or two. Yes, they had some strong personalities and some leaders in the locker room. But all 12 guys, I've never seen a high-level team that didn't have all 12 guys in the locker room that were bought into what it is that they're doing. I, I, I think back of, you know, one of the most iconic every time it's Final Four time with the NCAA basketball tournament, they always show uh, Christian Leitner hitting the shot that, yep, that put Duke that. into the Final Four. Yep. And it's such an iconic moment that people miss who he was playing against. It was a decimated University of Kentucky team that had, uh, due to NCAA regulations, they lost six McDonald's All-Americans. So who they had left were a bunch of kids from Kentucky that bled blue from the time they were two years old. So you have a, a John Pelfrey, a Richie Farmer, a Darren Feldhouse, guys that you know are 6'6", you know, good scrappy ball players that would give their right arm for the university of Kentucky. Now six, six sounds super tall and impressive to the average person listening, yeah. <laughs> but at that level of basketball, that's as, as, yeah, as a seven like, footer, eh. I'm kind of going, yeah, they had those little guys. Yeah. <laughs> Perspective. Yeah. Yes. But, but here's the thing. Those, yeah. those guys after the, the McDonald's all Americans had left, they were going to put on the blue of Kentucky. Yeah. They were going to go out and play with pride and yeah. play with heart. And they far exceeded. I mean, one of the most, uh, overachieving. overachieving teams that that the sport has to offer. And you know what? Duke had a little bit more talent. Duke had a little bit better. You don't just because you can, you know, uh, you're all in and you recognize the personalities and you make the most of what you have and you get people to mobilize doesn't always mean you're going to win the national championship. However, that is easily one of the best teams Kentucky has ever assembled based on what they did with what God gave them. Excellence mm. is not being perfect. It's doing the absolute best and getting the most out of what you have. And teams that perform well continue to exceed expectations because they get people in the right spot and they mobilize them. You have something to bring and, and what you're bringing it to. It matters that you bring it because it's not just about what we accomplish. It's about a higher purpose. That's really great. Keith, so help walk us down this road a little bit further here. So the, sure. the ideas behind this are really, really great. What are some good key first steps on this journey, whether it's identifying the gifts of the actual leaders that you have present or helping them to get better situated within your organization or your church? Where, where should someone maybe start sure. um, down, this, down this path? Sure. I think, I think, first of all, again, it goes back to clarifying what, what, what's the main objective okay. that we're trying to win. Um, and once you know where we're going, what it is that God's calling us to do, what the overarching win is, then, then starting to identify who's in the room. Um, and there, there are a couple of ways, uh, probably beyond the scope of a, of a podcast, how do I identify who, sure. who's in the room? Some leaders are you know, a little more intuitive and they can kind of go, that guy over there. Um, you know, there, there are certainly some assessments you can use. I know when we go help churches and, and businesses and organizations create high-performing teams, we use a couple personality inventories mm -hmm. where we're really starting to look beyond the talent that you see and see what is the good core raw material uh, in this person. How has God wired them? Yeah. Um, and then once you see how they're wired, now we know what's the best setting to put them in. For example, I, I can't tell you how many 
uh, churches I'll go to or organizations I'll go to, and they'll have somebody who is doing a really good job managing because they're they're detail oriented. They're focused on um, getting everything right, and it's it's really helpful for a nice, safe, efficient department. Mm. However, that has been a nice, safe, efficient department for too long and hasn't grown and expanded because there's not maybe somebody who is uh, more focused on the dreaming side of it, for example. So, you know, if we're doing brainstorming uh, with with our church in Orlando, we we have. We have multiple different teams and multiple kind of different tables among our staff and, and leadership. But when it comes down to advancement and next steps and things like that, we take our team and we divide it into two different, we, ha- we have a, our inspiring team slash dreaming team, and then we have our executing team. So when we're sitting around a normal staff meeting talking about things, everybody's weighing in at various levels. When we're starting to think about the future, we're starting to en- envision a new project, I remove my executors from that that because there's something with our executors where they're trying to ground it in reality. Right. And it's very difficult when you're dreaming to keep bringing it down to reality. It just it crushes that dreaming spirit. Now, right. by the way, my dreamers aren't going to execute. <laughs> so they need to get out of the so, way. Yeah, so point. so yeah. We, we dream, we throw every possible thing up against a wall. And this is, a, this is personality. I'm going, who are my positive people? Who are my people that are always going, you know what would be awesome? You know, or <laughs> you know what would be crazy? And, and, and they're just throwing out sometimes wacky ideas, but we, we put them all up That's there right. together. We dream, we laugh, what could be? And now we flesh out maybe the top three or four. We bring them to our executors and they usually go, none of those are going to work. And we're going, no, 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 no. Make, make at least two of these in, into a reality. And after they get past that, they start to look and now they look across at what we have. And from a personality perspective, my dreamers, we'd, we'd end up in the ditch. Uh, my executors, we would stay the same. So we, we, even just knowing who's in the room when you're doing a facet of, of teamwork is helpful. That's so. really great. Yeah, I think a lot of leaders know that frustration if you are a dreamer and you're just out in imagination land and you're envisioning new ideas and you're kind of breaking new territory, you're cutting edge, or even if you got an idea from somewhere else and you're yep. really excited to implement it, and then you always have a group in the room if you're not intentional about it saying, well, what about this? I don't think this could work. And what about that? And like, and they have all the detail questions involved and kind of the how questions involved. And it completely derails the imagination questions of, you know, of what if sort of thing. Yep. And and listen, both are crucial. But They're what, absolutely both crucial. And we can tend to look from, from one side of that fence to the other and say, what's wrong with you? Or right. where's your faith? Like, yeah, from the other side of the spectrum, it looks incredibly frustrating. You've got all these ideas, but it's putting me under pressure. I'm the one that has to carry them out. Yes. I don't have a reasonable timeline. I don't have enough resources. Yep. You haven't. So there's there's that tension that is always going ping-ponging yep. back and forth. Absolutely. And, and, and in the church world, we can even, you know, it's, it's a gift of the Father. It's how he's wired him. But we can almost try to disciple it as a gift of the, you know, the spirit, come on, you just get more faith. Like get your faith. It's when it's not a faith issue. Like we we can dream, (laughs) come up with an idea and you hand that to a, you know, line by line accountant type. Mm -hmm. It is going to take all the faith in the world for them to now crystallize that into a plan. And we can think that somehow that because they're not dreaming uh, said as a dreamer, because they're not dreaming with me, their faith isn't there. They're, they're being stretched into a, and twisted into a pretzel by God's spirit, figuring out how I'm going to make this a reality. And now we can work better for the kingdom of God to see a, a, a purpose accomplished way beyond. I can't execute it. I can think it up. They can't think it up, but they can execute it. Now we know that God's doing something bigger. We each have a part to play in this, and the team performs way better than any of us. It's one of the things, you know, as we were talking earlier, even about I'm kind of dreaming through and thinking through with with organizations where they find themselves siloed, right? So we've, mm-hmm. we've developed a new instrument we call the leader profile, and it starts to look at, at certain facets of leadership. Leadership is inherently, uh, factors of leadership are inherently a, a, a zero-sum game. It's, it's similar to playing golf, right? There are, uh, there are some great golfers, um, but a scramble team theoretically should be an individual golfer with the exception of maybe the absolute elite. Sure. And here's why. 
because most of us have a club or two that we're good with. Yeah, and by scramble team, for those like non-golf sure. people, that's like a team of four playing together, essentially playing one ball and yes. each getting one chance at every time they hit that ball. So you basically yeah. get the best at the short game, the all, best at All putting, four guys get to tee off, then we pick one, whichever of those balls we like the best, we all walk up to that ball, and all four of us now hit the next shot. And, and so... It's like a team of four against one, taking exactly. the best of the four against exactly. the one. Yeah. So theoretically, we all have a club that we're better with. So right. being, you know, seven feet over 300 pounds, I can hit the ball a country mile. I have no idea where it's going <laughs> other than it's going far. Sure. So when I play in a scramble, the first three guys tee off, somebody gets one in play, and then I come up and just crush it. Yeah. It's going to be twice as far. If it's straight, we use mine. If it's not, who cares? We have at least one that we can play with. And usually on a good scramble team, you have somebody who can putt, but they can't get off the tee, and, that, and that's okay. Uh, leadership is the same way in that you and I have uh, preferred strengths and preferred styles to leadership, and leadership is simply influence. So by definition of choosing one club, one manner to influence, I'm inherently not choosing the others. So what we tend to do, let's just say in a, in a church environment, I get a youth pastor because I see... Gift of the son, pastoral gifts. He's got a heart for kids. Awesome. Take the students and grow them. Well, there's, there's a lot more to leading a group of students than being pastoral and having a heart for kids. You have to initiate stuff. You've got to mobilize volunteers. You've got to inspire parents. You've got to raise money. You've got to manage a, a hour and a half meeting or whatever it is. You've got to lay out a calendar for the semester. There's a, a lot of different leadership functions that go into that. And that's similar to a golfer that is individually needs to be able to drive and needs to be able to you know, have a fairway game and need to be able to chip and need to be able to putt and need to be able to do them all proficiently. And the typical leader doesn't. He might be a great driver, compensates everywhere else. What if we were to look at our leadership capacity and say, when we need something initiated, this is our initiator. This is the guy who stands up and whoa, this is the guy who really leads well in the middle innings. So we're going to, he's going to kind of manage more some things, man, this is a, our unbelievable closer, right? Or this is our mobilizer of talent. And so we can look at some different facets of leadership, knowing that, um, that we don't need Tiger Woods. This is why I go for talent, right? I don't need Tiger Woods. I need at least one guy that can get us off the tee. Mm. I need at least of the four of us, one guy that's got a middle game mm -hmm. of the four of us. I need at least one guy that can putt. Mm -hmm. And now I can look at my organization and get people in the best possible position to move the ball down the field faster, or, you know, down the links, if you will, sure. faster as Cross I have my mix, yeah, good, mix metaphors. Yep. So anyway, those Excellent. are things I kind of keep rolling around. And I believe with whether it's our dreamers and our executors uh, or the different personalities we have sitting there, we can get, get people mobilized and utilized and selected better than just wishing we had access to Tiger Woods every time. I think that's fantastic. I think that's fantastic. So what's something that you would say, um, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that could could apply this to their marriages. They could apply this to their job or, or something that they're yes. leading or managing. If they're a Christian in a church, they have a small group. Yes. Uh, there's ways to apply this. Uh, what would you say is like a first step that, that a leader would need to take in their home or in their church or wherever they find themselves? What's a first step that they can take to start creating uh, what you're describing in terms of a healthier team? Uh, I would say the f uh, self-awareness is probably the first yeah. step. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. So the, the best leaders know what they're good at and more importantly, what they're not good at. Yeah, uh, They know where their strengths lie and they know where their weaknesses lie. And so you, you want to lead out of who God's made you. You want to lead out of your personality. Uh, you don't have to be, you don't have to lead your home like I lead my home. Now, biblically, obviously there's principles in terms of things that, that have to be there, but how they get introduced and how they get formed, uh, that should come out of how God has wired you. So first in a, in a home setting, self-awareness. Secondly, now I start to move to other awareness initially with my closest allies, right? So mm -hmm. I'm going to look at my wife. If I've got self-awareness, she's developing self-awareness. I now, with a measure of other awareness, I, I don't have to know everybody, but I need to know me and I need to know her. Mm 
Yeah. And the the more I get to know her and see her through a God lens, what, what raw material has God put in there? What are some giftings and wirings? And if I don't have to try to do everything, what I'm actually going to do is create room for the complimentary beautiful species called wife that he's put with me yes. to start to step into what she's good at. Yeah. Now we have two of us because, you know, the, the old saying opposites attract, I, I would dare say God puts complimentary people together. So where I'm weak, my wife is really strong. And where I'm strong, she, she may have a gap of something being underdeveloped. Yeah. And what we tend to do is look at and despise the weakness in others and go, why aren't you like me? Why yes. don't you see it my way? Yes, what Listen, a mistake. Thank God my wife sees the world differently than yeah. me. There's enough of me in the world. The world yes. needs less of me, quite we, frankly, yeah, not more. <laughs> yes. So thank goodness he has brought me somebody that fills in my gaps and quite frankly has brought me to her to help complement her. It gives us breadth. Mm. And so if I have self-awareness, now in a home setting, I have yeah. other awareness in a church or business setting, I have self-awareness. Now I start to build my team with an eye toward other awareness. We tend to see leaders just like ourselves. So I lead this way. Oh, you lead that way. I peg you as a leader. And I would dare say at the top of our organization, we want complimentary leadership, not just a bunch of mini me's walking around. Right. So well, it's really well said. I'm so glad that you said that because I feel like that was a huge turning point even for me. I mean, I was getting to a place even in my own leadership where I felt the obligation to take on pretty much every department of the church yeah. and be a spearhead in terms of creative visionary leadership, teaching, pastoral care, counseling, uh, outreach training, organization, yes. execution. And it, it really, it was freeing. Self-awareness is not just a mean thing to say to someone to tell them that they're limited or lacking or weak or yeah. incompetent. I found it to be extremely liberating just to acknowledge who I am and who I'm not. Yep. And then the best of all possible news is God has actually placed other people around me that because of my lack of self, the most tragic aspect of it is the way I was depriving them of their ability to, to contribute. And it was actually quite self-centered of me, yes. um, even though I wasn't wanting necessarily to do all those things, which you feel this obligation or responsibility to do all those yep. things because you're a leader and, may, and maybe it's just your wiring to have to do that. And I think that I see... Uh, pastors particularly, but I think a lot of leaders make that mistake to think if I don't do it, it won't get done. It won't get done right. And, yes. uh, and even if it drains you or takes everything out of you, you, it's just not something you let go of or are willing to admit you're not good at. Yeah. And this ultimately just kind of bringing this full circle to even where we started, this is part of what now creates the myth of, I have to get a superstar uh, because I'm doing everything by virtue of me being lacking self-awareness and having to do everything. I'm now robbing the gifted people in that area that God has brought to me from rising to the top. So now I look and go, there's nobody here that, that'll pull their weight. There's nobody here that'll bring their gifts to the table. If I just had, and they're, they're actually sitting there. And by the way, they're sitting there knowing you're not good at what you're not good yeah, at. Yeah, that's right. It's not like that's they right. lack other awareness. You're the one that lacks other awareness. Yeah. And the emperor has no clothes on. So do what you're great at. And if you're not great at, start to look and see how, first of all, does it need to be done? And second of all, if it needs to be done, if it's mission critical, what piece has God provided? Even if it's not yet fully developed in its skill set, is the hardwiring and personality there that they would enjoy this? I am not administrative. For years with a, as a you know, church planter and serial entrepreneur, I'd spend time you know, generating the updraft to get this thing going, but also having to do the back end. And the back end was killing me. Um, but I kept thinking it has to be accurate, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm, I'm, I'm best used bringing the uplift into an organization. Mm. And when I started to say, I have to find the person that God has added, there's no way he wants me in this spot. There's no way he wants our organization in this spot, whichever one we were starting at the time. And we started to identify. And I, I got to tell you, I, I used to think, I used to feel so bad yeah. asking people to do this task because, because I, hated I hated it. it. Yes, right. Right. Yeah. And if you hate it, you assume that someone else right. would. And I, I assume a, a leader looks like I do. I assume people hate the same things I hate. And it's absolutely not true. I have people that are flourishing, feeling used by God, unlike they ever have before, doing stuff that I Spreadsheets. Hate. Spreadsheets. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give you an interesting example. Yeah, one of totally. My, one of my best friends in the world, 
He's a, he was a 10, 11 year NBA veteran. We started our church, our current church in Orlando, High Point Church together. We started in his living room. He's 6'10", looks, you know, similar to me. We were both kind of the big white guy, you know, that played in the NBA and, and I'm discipling him. And, and I'm thinking as a good Christian leader, for him to be a good Christian leader, he needs to be me. Mm. So I'm, you know, we're starting our Sunday services and I kept saying, Andrew, why don't come up here, handle the mic. And he just, he didn't want to. And I come on, you know, and I, I'm, I'm getting, I'm just, I just need to stretch him out of his comfort zone. And right. cause this is what leaders do. They stand up front. And he was getting frustrated with me, and I was getting more than frustrated with him. Yeah, because he wasn't, I'm assuming he wasn't doing well in those moments. Not at all, not at all. And so I'll never forget, in between services, we were doing two in a rented facility that time, at that time, I walked into the restroom, and there in front of the toilets is a multimillionaire, 11-year NBA veteran, one of the most well-known men in our city, scrubbing the toilets in a rented facility. And and I said, dude, what, what are you doing? And he, and he looked at me kind of embarrassed that he got caught doing behind the scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he said, well, somebody's going to walk into this, this facility second service. And I think the cleanliness of our bathrooms says a lot about the God we serve. And I would wow. hate to, I would hate to have this not looking good, you know, impact somebody's potential walk with Christ. And I thought like the, I was in that bathroom every day. Sunday, I never even noticed. It never even dawned on me. I mean, that, that the bathrooms mattered. What mattered was what I was doing with the microphone up front. And I'm going, this guy, he couldn't care less what I was doing with the microphone. He's looking at things that never even caught my eye and they're front burner for him. And I started to think, man, I'm trying to turn this guy into me. He's frustrated. He's, our team is not performing nearly as well as it is, should, and I just said, bro, how, would you would you consider maybe just being in charge of getting like our service teams put together? And a guy lights up. Oh, so wow. here we we've owned our facility for nine years. We have never in the history of owning a 18,000, 16, 18, whatever it is, thousand square foot building on two acres, we have never once paid anyone to cut our grass. We have never once paid anyone to clean our facility. We're in the state of Florida where stuff grows like crazy. <laughs> sure. And we've never paid for those things, although our facility is immaculate, because here's, here's now the ethos of our, of our church. If Andrew, an 11-year NBA veteran, multimillionaire, if he's going to clean the toilets, what's my excuse yes, to not helping? that's right. So now we're, right. we're flourishing. I'm not having to run around and mop the floors and do this. People just do, and they step into who God's made them. Because they're looking at him. That yes, they're looking at me, and I'm saying, "Hey, we all need to serve from the front." But that doesn't that doesn't create service. They turn and look at him, and he's doing it. Yeah. And if anyone that's wired toward help gravitates toward him and is now mobilized, yeah. literally doing kingdom activity like planting flowers. We we don't have this is a church work day. Everyone needs to come do something. It's happening. Yeah. And I'm not doing it. By the way, I'm reproducing other preachers and other communicators that are naturally drawn to how God has made me yeah. and not necessarily with my giftedness or talent in it, but they can recognize we got a little kindred spirit here and how God's made you and it's drawing some and consequently our teams are, they're, they're, they're flourishing right now yeah. and performing at a very high level. That's fantastic. I really, I really love that. That's that's just phenomenal. I'm just gonna get your get the Andrew's phone number when we're done here. He may or may not be getting a job offer here. You know, pretty soon. <laughs> but if you can uh, pull him away. You can have him. <laughs> good luck. Right? Good luck. Yeah, that's really that's really phenomenal. I heard a, someone tell me once time that as a leader, every time you confess your weaknesses to your team, it'll never be news. You know, yeah. you think it's this great yeah. secret, this inner thing you're holding in, and yep. you just build up the courage. Of Hey guys, you know, I just want to confess to you guys, I'm really, I'm not great at this. You know, you're just going to get this nod. Oh yeah, sure. Great. Well, we're glad that you now are aware of this, but they've always been aware of it. And so we're, we're always have that disconnect. If I can just far more visible than, than we realize. And if I, if I can just really quickly add on to that, not only is it not a surprise, the fact that you haven't asked them to support in that area is disempowering. Yeah. It's saying it's despite never saying it, it's saying, I don't trust you to do this. It is. So yeah. I will do it poorly rather than trust you to do it rather than trust how God's made you. 
And, and, and that there's very few things more demotivating than a leader, either overtly or inadvertently saying, I don't trust you to do this. And when we don't recognize who God has put in our midst and we try to do it ourselves, we're telling them, I don't trust you to do it. Yeah. Let me rephrase it. They're hearing, yeah. you don't trust me to do this. Right. So consequently, I'm going to sit. Yeah. And then you're going to sit and I'm going to say, where is LeBron James? I need him. And this will turn around. Yeah. There's a great similarity to what you're saying and to, uh, referencing once again the conversation I just had with, with Steve with Steve Merle because one of the fundamental secret sauces that he described yeah. uh, over in the Philippines with the church he, he built, which again is, is quite miraculously enormous, was the idea that every one of their leaders was never allowed to do the work of the ministry but only ever allowed to equip those who were supposed to do the work of the ministry. And there's this continual culture where um, no one gets to say, I'm not qualified or I'm not trained. Yeah. You just start. And if you have one day of training, you're ahead of the guy who's got zero days of training. Yeah. And so then you just, you're off and running. And it's a very empowering culture and leaders never get in the way with their egos, but they simply just do what only they can do to empower others for what only they can do. Yep. Um, and it's a really beautiful system. And it, and it's been demonstrated time and time again, not the least of which by Jesus himself, right? To be yes. the way in which the world's going to get turned around. Yep. Yeah, not by superstars, but by everyone in the game and the body functioning yeah. healthily together. This is really great. Uh, Keith, any any kind of last thoughts of wisdom or advice that you want to give any leaders listening to this? I mean, I'm sure I'm listening to this and feeling like, oh, man, like there's, there's some work I need to do, some conversations I need to go have. Um, is there anything that you would say to someone listening to this, um, you know, any encouragement that you would give them as they're going to try to go out or maybe pray through or work through, you know, what some of this stuff means for them? Uh, yeah, I, I would say stretching is good and, and change is good. And the leaders that can change and adapt and grow uh, are going to be the leaders of the future. And the leaders that can't are going to hit their cap. Uh, so if, if this is like, geez, where do I even start with this, the fact that you're asking about starting great. isn't in, in itself huge. If you're That's going, great. okay, whatever, I'm good where I am. Awesome. God bless you and praise God for what you have done. Uh, but it's not going to look like what you can continue to do. So if any are asking questions, um, I, I, where to start, I think that's a, that's a great first step. You know, we can do some different things. Uh, if anybody's interested, um, with our, with what we do with our consulting and personality Excellent. inventories. I've worked with numbers of churches and, and organizations, um, helping them. I can be reached at Keith at highpointorlando.com. Excellent. And we'll put Keith all that in the show Orlando. notes as well. If you're interested in contacting Keith or want to take him up on that offer, we'll make sure we get all that info. Yep. We can come out, take you. a look at your team. Cause sometimes again, as church leaders, we tend to think, even if we don't necessarily overtly think we're thinking gifts of the spirit, gifts of the son, and we tend to maybe miss the gifts of the Father, and that's really where we focus in on covering. What kind of personalities do you have here? What is then the best use within whatever department uh, to get them mobilized? And um, yeah, so we well, can help fantastic. with that. That's fantastic. Well, I can personally vouch, and this, Keith is actually here with me now because this is what he's doing for, for our team in the next couple of days. And we're really excited to have him. We're excited for the impact that he's made. I know he's made a great impact on a lot of my friends and their churches. Uh, and uh, so, Keith, it's been a thrill. This has been really fun. I hope you come back and do this again sometime. I know there's a whole lot of other topics we could have a good time talking about. Absolutely. It's great being with you, my friend. And thank you so much for doing this podcast. It's a, it's a real value add, even for those of us in the far corners uh, of the country away from Oregon. Down Deep in, in the swamp. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's been very valuable listening. 